Podcast. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up? And welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley, who is being very quiet because this is our review on A Quiet Place Part Part 2. Bum, bum, bum. A movie from 2020 playing in theaters now. In 2021. You know, they got as far as having the actual premiere and then everything shut down. They got that far? Yep. So a lot of the press stuff, a lot of the, you know, the interview stuff, the preview stuff was all from like over a year ago. So I assume you saw this in the theater. I did in IMAX. And did your screening include an intro by John Krasinski? It did not. Yours did? Yeah. It was just a little talking head interview where he says hey, you know, you're seeing this in the theater. It means you appreciate the movie-going experience. Thanks for watching and enjoy the film. Yay. Which I assumed was his way of saying, I know you waited a long time for this movie, and thanks for holding out to see it in the theater. Yeah, because John Krasinski said he very much wanted this to be a theatrical experience, which I agree with, but it was pretty rough to wait a year plus, a year and two months for the release to know that it's sitting there finished, but maybe kind of worth it. It was pretty frustrating to have to wait, and if it was bad, then I think it would have been all the more... Like, I would have been pissed off if I had waited all this time, and then I had spent $30 and gone to the theater, and and it sucked. Already, the anticipation was really high because Kelly didn't do horror movies very much. I felt like A Quiet Place 1 was entry-level sort of horror in that it wasn't gory, it wasn't unnecessarily suspenseful, or did the jump scares just for the sake of being scary. And so it was a good one for her, and she really liked it and was looking forward to the second one, probably because of John Krasinski, but whatever. (laughs) Not only did we have A Quiet Place 1, but we had A Quiet Place 1.5, which was an entire year of coronavirus, and now we have A Quiet Place 2, Which, after a year of being inside, it felt right in step. She still had the bandage on her foot from the nails. And the monster bait baby was still the exact same age and still fit into the exact same crate. How much time do you think elapsed? Maybe a week? Maybe. I mean, the basement was still flooded. We cut right to Noah Jupe holding the baby and screaming. It couldn't have been more than outside a week. It seemed like it was immediately following on the first installment, and it also played out almost in real time. 
I saw A Quiet Place 1 a few times since its release. I didn't watch it prior to seeing A Quiet Place 2. I didn't feel it was necessary. And so I didn't really get a feel of if the kids changed and they were like, let's just go with it, whatever. Noah Jupe's six feet tall now. It wasn't obvious that they needed to de-age them a la It Chapter 2. But they did in the in the day one opening did they? Yeah, I, they did. In the day one, they definitely were aged down and masterfully so. Like, I thought the special, the visual and special effects in this movie were incredible, not only with the kids, but with the aliens. Do you think you understand more about these creatures now to compare and contrast them to other specialized killing machines? I don't think so. I think these are pretty one note, get it, one note creatures. <laughs> um, I think they have the long quadrupedal legs. They're like... The fastest gorillas ever. They're so fast. But other than being able to hear really well with the omnidirectional earplate head thing and that they're mean and fast, I think we only learned one new thing about the creatures this time around. What did we learn? They can't swim worth a damn. <laughs> well, I mean, with those spindly little legs, the whole displacement formula doesn't exactly work with them. So it, it obviously begs the question, like Shyamalan's signs, why these aliens would choose a planet that was 70% covered in water. But it's not like they knew because the one was like, I hear you, here I come after Killian Murphy off the boat dock and just went for it, right? Dived into the water and was like, oh, bad news, mistake. Yeah. Although, could it have been that the creature intended all along to glom onto the boat? I mean, I think that they chose places where they could perch, where they could jump to, but really they were just kind of moving toward the noise. And I think maybe in a daredevil echolocation sense, they could sense obstacles and because they climb on stuff with no hesitation, right? They jump through little areas. So I think they get they have a grasp of their surroundings. But maybe water is this weird, impermanent sort of structure that they couldn't really figure out. Maybe because sound maybe bounces off of it. It feels or it sounds, it feels to them like it's solid, but then it's not. <laughs> not only are they physically not suited for water, but it probably messes with their old head ears thing. Yeah. I mean, I remember being a kid and, and coming away from the beach and not being able to hear all afternoon or all evening. And dad did that thing where he's like, you stand on one foot, turn your head to the side, you jump up and down, you hit the side of your head to get the water out of your ear. And he's not like he had camera phones or anything. So it's not like he was recording me or making fun of me. But I always suspected he was doing it just to make me look stupid. You can't <laughs> knock water out of your ear that way. What are you talking about? That method is totally effective. Okay. Never worked for me once. I like do it to this day. Are you one of those freakazoids that doesn't get their ears wet in the shower? Uh, no. I also had the thing where I thought maybe in the future I'd always have to go swimming with a nose plug. And then you become not a wuss and you work those things out and you learn not to get water in your nose because you're an adult. <laughs> and so if you clear your ears fairly regularly in the water, it has no problem. But I'm also really old, so I don't spend a lot of time submerged in water. Anymore. But uh, really, we learned that they can't swim. We learned that they are really ruthless and then we have the same ear gimmicky kind of thing. There were no like a, no new approaches to killing these creatures, except that they killed themselves in the water. But I did notice that they made way cooler, way scarier noises in the way that sound design creates some of the best creature effects ever. It's really underappreciated how much scarier they are when they make appropriately terrifying noises and you can sense their proximity and stuff. All noises probably used in their echolocation. 
or how they assess the space around them. But also to make them more menacing and more scary. They, I felt like they featured the creatures more. Bigger budget. We really didn't get a very good look at them in the original A Quiet Place. But they're all over this. We did in some instances. Yeah, in the finale we got a good look, obviously, because we saw how their heads finally worked. And they were confined to that little room. Speaking of rooms, we I mean, we get out of their compound pretty quickly. We get to Killian Murphy's place. By the way, were you so stoked when you saw Killian Murphy? Or did you know? You knew. I knew, but I had kind of forgotten. I mean, this was a year ago, and I heard that he was in it. I really thought that he would be uh, one of the other survivors that you don't necessarily want to mingle with. Kind of the same person that he warned Emily Blunt against in this movie. So I, I really definitely thought he was going to be a bad guy. Emily Blunt was fairly capable as a pregnant woman and is very strapped down as a mom of a newborn. So Emily Blunt is not wasted in this movie because her performance is fantastic. But she's got the ball and chain and she really can't do much in this movie. Oh, the monster bait baby. So she gives way to her kids who really shine. That was the gimmick of A Quiet Place. She was pregnant, and then she had to give birth, and neither of those things are conducive to silent survival. And so this time she was free of that burden while having to tug around the suitcase monster bait baby the whole time, which allowed for the separation of Millicent, whatever her name, what's her name? Reagan. And new dad, who's kind of a jerk face, right? Like, I get that he wasn't a, supposed to be a good guy. He was a tragic figure and and had experienced loss and was all about self-preservation and stuff. But still, if you're going to agree to go after, I don't know why she couldn't go after her kid who knows the kid way better. Because she's got a newborn and a convalescing boy who got his foot caught in a trap. So Noah Jupe has been left out of a lot of the promotion and stuff. But uh, his character is kind of, he's kind of like the new baby. He <laughs> cries and screams a lot and spends the rest of the time convalescing. And the mom has to go get the kid oxygen and has to go and get the kid painkillers. And, and has to, antibiotics, you know, I assume. Was, yeah, wasn't it formula or something that she had to get in the first one? So he spends a lot of his time being useless and screaming because he's a teenager. Maybe preteen. It, it became ultimately two movies. The mom is doing her mom thing in, in the warehouse or whatever, and fake dad and daughter are off on this weird mission. She, so her mission was to bring the frequency to the villagers who were on the well, island? Yeah, to, yeah, if they can broadcast, she could then broadcast the sound that really hurts and impairs the creatures. Well, they can do all kinds of experimentation now that they've commandeered the radio station. So you don't think, do you think that this alien, I wish it had a name, do you think that this creature has some similarities with the xenomorph? Uh, I don't know necessarily that it pays tribute to any other... Ultimate killing machine. I don't know. that. Do they eat these victims? Do they... Nobody in this movie tends to any bodily function whatsoever. Yeah. There's no eating. <laughs> There's no pooping. If it was Frances McDormand in, uh, <laughs> in, in Nomadland, she'd be dead right off, right? <laughs> In both of our movies, in A Quiet Place and in our, our original production of A Smelly Place. That's exactly. But no one eats, no one poops, no one peeps. Uh, baby, <laughs> who has to eat every two hours, does not eat. Oh, God. Um, we don't have time for that. This is a lean movie at an hour and a half, just over an hour and a half. Come on. I'm just saying, the, the monsters, they fall in line. They also do not eat. They seem to kill for sport. Kill to rampage and kill. They don't eat the people. Yeah, they're like senior citizens. 
if the noise disturbs them, they'll just swat everyone around. <laughs> Jaimon Hansu is uh, credited as man on island. Really? Yeah. He could, But that could have been anybody. It could have been man at baseball game, too. That's true. If he was going to die, which I actually didn't think about. I didn't think to myself, as soon as he appeared, always oh, going to die. He was actually a last-minute replacement from someone else. Filming had already begun by the time he joined the cast. And which John Krasinski had mentioned filmed relatively in order. Not exactly, but uh, I didn't think about how he was going to die. I thought it was fairly likely. But I expected if he was going to go, it was going to be Billy Predator style, where he's like bleeding from the mouth and screaming at the top of his lungs with muscles out and stuff. <laughs> well, he was in the muscle car and he was leading the creature away with incredible courage. And then he gets to the garage and suddenly has a panic attack. Oh, next to the open door, which was really the most telegraphed death in the film, right? Yeah. I mean, I expected jump scares and a lot of them were really effective. But I was like, what are you doing? And it seemed obvious that he was going to die. So we start this movie and John Krasinski makes his appearance. It made sense that he would be part of the day one. And they now have the budget to really show this uh, blindsided attack from the aliens on this small town. Or whatever, but it was really effective because I think the strength of this movie wasn't that it glommed on to a quiet place one. Like they didn't show the flashback to the kid being taken with the stupid space shuttle in his hand. This sequence of the first day that it happened was really the only flashback in the movie. So it didn't feel like a lot of hand holding. And I was worried, I was bracing and expecting that. It's a cheap method of remember this, see how clever we are in tying it so closely, because we can show this exact same thing in the first movie and we can eat up time, too, with flashbacks of stuff that was already shot. They didn't do that at all. If we weren't advancing the monster, the creature story, what purpose did, the, as cool as it was, don't get me wrong, the action was great in the opening sequence, but it's, as cool as it was, what purpose did it serve? Simply to introduce Killian Murphy. We can see how tough and fast John Krasinski was. We can see Emily Blunt's driving skills. What it did for me is it triggered the PTSD, you know, not making light of that, but from the first movie, we were conditioned. You know, we came into this thing quietly. The stupid light is clicking and you're like, shh. And then he comes driving around the truck in that, that like Mick monster truck. And you're like, <laughs> will you shut up, man? Like he's ripping the bag of the fruit thing off the, fr you know, to get some fruit and, and stomping around the store and everything is loud. And you're like, stop it. And like the doors dinging over the thing. And we're like all conditioned to be quiet. It was just a really effective reflection of a world that didn't care about about being quiet. And then there's like cheering crowds and baseball and loud cars and all this stuff juxtaposed with how quiet everyone then had to be. Were you in real life aware of how much noise that you made after watching this movie? Um, I definitely went home and took out a big jar of lemonade and placed it on the glass table. And Brian was like, that's way too loud. <laughs> I don't remember going home and having to do anything like that. What I do remember was we saw A Quiet Place 1 in one of those sort of boutique theaters, you know, where you press the button and it's really expensive and they bring you popcorn and stuff. There weren't all that many people in the theater. And afterwards, you know, people will make a lot of noise or sometimes they'll clap or do stuff like that. It was dead silence when the credit rolled, and so I couldn't tell if anybody liked the movie or not because we all like got up and quietly filed out of our seats. So they further established the world, but they also reminded us of 
what led to the scenes in A Quiet Place 2. They established Killian Murphy's character as a very friendly friend of Lee's and a family man. And they also, I think, importantly establish how scared Noah Jupe is because his arc is really important. Uh, Marcus, I guess is his name, because he goes from basically a kid to stepping into his dad's shoes. Oh, man, why do you got to make it all family again? Saving his mom and his baby sister, stepping into the the man of the household role. Look, come at me, bro. But I found the family aspect of A Quiet Place a little bit tiresome. Well, family life is tiresome, bro. It was <laughs> it was mostly centered around my ire that John Krasinski's dad character had to die, which I still think is one of the most unnecessary deaths in cinema yeah. history. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I liked A Quiet Place, but as you may remember, I didn't love it. That said, I was very excited for A Quiet Place too, but I very much enjoyed that Noah Jupe got his foot smashed. You enjoyed it? Well, look, it was real, and she's like, look, I get that your foot smashed, but also shut up so you don't die on top of that and get us all killed in the process. When Reagan and New Dad took off, Emily Blunt must have believed them dead, right? She left. Please go after my baby. He left. They didn't come back for days, and she was still doing her momly duties or whatever, making sure that her baby and her son didn't die, but the kid is also off on her own adventure, you know? Like, they were much more resilient, much more, even if he spent most of the movie laid up, they were more determined as kids, and it wasn't about the, I'm going to sacrifice myself for love and we never had a connection so let's forge that connection and scream behind the waterfall it was less about that family dynamic and more about that family being faced with peril on all sides the other one was fine but this was a much more straightforward classic horror monster movie and i appreciated that maybe because we had established all the bonds of family and the uh, the tarzan yelling sacrifice dad was out of the picture after the first five ten minutes it's a fairly classic family trope thing where everyone splits up at one moment, everybody is split up. Reagan and Emmett are on their journey, and Emily Blunt is at the pharmacy. And at one moment, they're really heavily intercutting between the two adventures going on, or the three adventures going on. Yeah, I think it was effective, though. I was wondering if it was effective, because to me, at first, I was like, I think that they're intercutting this because they're trying to create more suspense and maybe when they told the individual stories less broken up and less intercut that maybe it wasn't working and so they went to this intercutting to keep the suspense up. But then I was really pleased to find that the intercutting was really important to the story. Because she's able to broadcast, Marcus is able to get out of his tight spot and use the same frequency that she had on his radio to kill his monster. They both win, and the whole intercutting paid off. Undoubtedly, some of the editing was discovered in post, right? By necessity, let's uh, parallel these two moments. But it also was carefully scripted to be that way. It made sense that Emily Blunt was going to be having her monster crisis at the exact same moment they were, so that broadcasting that signal would have a twofold effect. And that was really satisfying, and it helped with these people being so far away from each other. At the same time, I acknowledged that we were separated, but we were still playing these storylines in tandem in what ordinarily might have been relatively minor action sequences or set pieces. Intercutting does draw them out for the suspense. 
They didn't over explain anything. The air timer that they had in the vault, you either get it or you don't. Yep. The fact that she goes back to the old place and into the still flooded basement. What is she doing? Oh, she's getting the air for the baby with the mask for safety. And you either get it or you don't. Uh, it didn't necessarily explain the boat thing or how the boat Jurassic parked all the way over to the island or whatever. And that was fine. We just have to acknowledge that the dinosaurs are on the island now. It was like a, <laughs> a movie that we were conditioned to either get or not get in the same way that you're either on board and you understand like, oh, dude, that truck is way too loud. Or the stupid bucket on the island where they're just like hauling that water and it's all creaking and junk. And like, do you have you no shame? <laughs> What you're talking about is the filmmaking sensibility. This is a director who respects his audience and also expects them to keep up. And he's relying on this conditioning that we've been subjected to, both from A Quiet Place and from COVID over the last year. We're just sensitive and receptive to the things, all the markers that he's using to great effect to make a good scary monster movie that's alternately loud and quiet because the loud brings the violence and the quiet staves it off. Yes, and he gets to play with these horror tropes in this new quiet setting. Whatever group that was that was holding the dock. Yep, the dock dicks. The dock. <laughs> Whoever those people were and whatever it was they intended to do, it all doesn't really matter. It was kind of refreshing that the bad guys didn't have to do their bad speech and be like, this girl's pretty. <laughs> 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 Like, you don't even need it. Because we've seen it. We've played The Last of Us. We've seen The Road. We've seen 28 Days Later. Killian Murphy has seen 28 Days Later. He knew what was going down. You know, we've seen all the post-apocalyptic movies. We've seen News of the World. Um, I, I do have to say, though, that that kid, from the second I saw that child in a frame, she whooshed by and I was like, what was that? But then when I saw the little girl, I was like, come on, that with the decoy? Killian Murphy, of all people, should have known that kid was a decoy. You saw that a mile away, right? No. I didn't exactly see how. Did it... you see the new, the can news thing? The collar? Nope. I didn't see it, and that was very effective, but absolutely. One little girl playing or whatever at the end of the dock in the dark, surrounded by the boats, <laughs> no way. And it actually would have been more effective if, because he's the one who warned them. These are the kinds of people now. These people, they're not the kind of people anymore that he should have known. He, That's he, true. he turned his back on everybody. And it's not like they ambushed him and overpowered him, right? He was stuck and they were there and never said more than a word. She was super creepy. I don't know why if she's a decoy, she has to be so creepy about it. They probably threatened not to feed her. If you don't like play by creepy Jesus man's rules, then you become like a comfort baby or something, right? Ew. So what were they what exactly was their plan? They were going to take the girl, they were going to take Reagan and then just leave Killian Murphy and with his noose on the edge of the dock. At least take his gun and supplies. And you always need, you know, new breeding stock or whatever. Ew, uh... Look, I don't know. It's, it's a wonder to me that these people even find community. If you're going to be all jerky and like creepy, do you have that standoff in the woods and you're like, hey, you jerky and creepy too? Yeah, well, let's form a group. You know, like how do they find each other and how do they coexist peacefully? Because they have the crim they have the jerky, creepy code. They, they just have to look. They drink the same kind of beer. <laughs> what about the idyllic island life? 
how do they all get along? Like, did, where did the water come from? Did they have, they had they already planted crops? Like, uh, look, I wasn't entirely sure because the risk that John Krasinski assumes when he figures we're coming into this movie with having seen A Quiet Place and having seen all the other monster movies is I wasn't disquieted by the, it was a little bit too idyllic, the island population. I was like, they're totally the others. Of course, yeah. There's something going on, something under the surface, and we didn't really have time to dwell on that because they were alien fodder by the time that it really happened, you know? Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, he had to go back and get the girl, but he was making an awful lot of noise knowing as he did that the dinosaurs were on the island now. When he was running and screaming? Screaming coincide <laughs> when everyone else was peacefully like roasting peanuts or whatever they were doing. And like he was the one making noise and he didn't get attacked. It's lucky for him. Yeah. Well, he ran through all that carnage. It was just luck and, you know, movie. Way bigger budget. Lots more aliens. Definitely everybody got stabbed in this one. Yeah. Those aliens were tearing people apart. It kind of became more of a wide shot, people panic running around monster kind of movie. But that opening scene was so intimate and close in the car. And you were talking about the, the effects of de-aging the kids. Yeah. Obviously, we had the monsters crawling out of the bus and running around the city and stuff. That was it. That It was the monsters and it was apparently de-aging the kids. Everything else was real and practical and and Emily Blunt really in the car, albeit not driving, and she's like flooring it and then reversing away from this bus coming at her at 40 miles an hour. With an alien crawling all over its front. Pretty hairy stuff for a really effective opening scene that was kind of fan service. That was like, now that we have the budget and a little bit more muscle, we can flex it and show this cool stuff that happened on day one, which was only inferred before because we were like a micro budget horror movie. It, I mean, it ramped everything up from the first movie in an effective way without rehashing it to 11. Yeah, I'll put it this way. A Quiet Place Part 2 could have gone badly. I think he kept the story appropriately contained. And he really advances the character in a movie where the plot's very thin or or the story is very thin. It's very plot driven. It's just it's it's very interesting how and why A Quiet Place 2 works. So what are we calling the monsters? Something praying mantisy or grasshoppery. So mantises. So if a quiet place was mantis in the same way that alien, that it was alien, then a quiet place too is like mantises, right? <laughs> it's much less about the small single entity or whatever, this family entity, and and remember that I love you. And then he dies. And then this is mantises where they're all over the place and they're killing at will indiscriminately. And it's a much bigger, more expansive sort of thing. And the a lot of the family dynamic fell by the wayside, right? She didn't mourn her potentially lost daughter at all. I fully expected this to be, you know, like sitting down and, you know, just because daddy is gone, he sacrificed himself for love. And the love is what's going to hold us together and our family moving forward because we have to transfer the love from daddy to the monster bait baby. And there's nothing worth sharing like the love that let us share our name. You know, I thought this was going to be that kind of monster movie. And it wasn't. It was kind of much more James Cameron's Aliens action movie in the horror vein. I feel like it didn't fall into many tropes because of how crisp it was. And your official rating is? I struggled with this, but I was really excited and thus really scared about seeing A Quiet Place 2 because I was afraid it was going to kind of suck. Having to trash the sequel might have been kind of annoying given how long we waited for it. 
but I found that I was really surprised and enjoyed A Quiet Place 2 from start to finish. Kelly actually said, is it possible for a movie to be too tense? Which is the best kind of horror movie. And for a relatively new director like John Krasinski, I liked A Quiet Place Part 2 more than A Quiet Place, which drew some incredulity from Kelly. But I gave that one an all right. And maybe... If you like this kind of movie and you like Emily Blunt and John Krasinski and movies where you hurt kids really badly so they don't have the opportunity to muck up too much of the movie and you get the uh, the hearing impaired kid so she doesn't have to talk a lot and ruin the movie, maybe this is the horror movie for you. I'm going to go. <laughs> I guess I'll give A Quiet Place to one of my lower end totally reviews. Why can't you just give the man, John Krasinski that is, a totally and let him go on with his life. He is a surprisingly good director for an actor who was reluctant, didn't want to do this movie in the first place, and kind of got sucked back in. I'm trying to figure out how well A Quiet Place stands alone. It's not a unique kind of monster. It it suffers from the same gimmickiness as a lot of other monsters, where the monster has one weakness, and now that we've discovered it, we can exploit it. But those are all things that are that uh, limitations that I placed on A Quiet Place, the original, where it was fine and it was exciting and fun, but it didn't really bring anything new to the genre. I'm not sure that Part 2 brought anything new. It just expounded so heavily and cleanly and effectively on the first one. It doubled down on a pretty decent bet, and I felt like they came out big winners this time around. This was like the Dogecoin of monster movies. <laughs> I think this is where your rating system fails you because I give A Quiet Place Part 2 a unabashed good. What a great, clean, expansive follow-up to a pretty solid horror movie. Uh, Killian Murphy, I was so happy to see him in this role. I thought it was a great role for him. I thought as little screen time as Emily Blunt had, she knocked it out of the park. Um, the kids... Definitely not a knowing. I mean, I'm a big fan of Noah Jupe after his work and less so Ford versus Ferrari, but definitely from Honey Boy. Uh, Jaiman, I'm really happy to now know how to pronounce his name because I really like him too. I thought that A Quiet Place 2 was super effective. So much so that Brian was like, you cannot squeeze my bicep anymore. You have to squeeze my forearm. It hurts too much because I was all crawling up him in the movie theater. Uh, we really enjoyed it. So that's our review on... A Quiet Place Part 2. Such a relief. We want to hear from you. Um, did you venture out in this pre-post-pandemic world to see A Quiet Place Part 2? Let us know. 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. 
Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.